following sermon was recorded during the Sunday morning gathering of Grace Community Church in Las Cruces, New Mexico. We are a group of Christians that exists to joyfully extol and magnify the true and living God, to faithfully proclaim the Christ-centered word, to build each other up by speaking the truth in love, and to bring the good news of the gospel to our city and world, so that the Lamb who was slain may receive the full reward for his sufferings. For more information about us, please visit gcclascruces.com. If you open up your Bibles this morning to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3, our verses this morning are going to be verses 1 through 10 of John chapter 3. However, I would like to start by reading from John chapter 2 verses 23 and we'll read through to verse 15 of John chapter 3 this morning. Friends, I invite you to hear the words of our living God this morning, starting in John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And here we come to our verses this morning. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have a serious problem this morning. We have a serious problem in our world today. There are churches all throughout the land, both in the United States, but in Canada, in Mexico, throughout Central and South America, throughout Africa and Europe, through Asia and Australia, all throughout the land that are not preaching the gospel, the true gospel. They're preaching this soft and pseudo-gospel, one that claims something like, well, if you just love Christ, that's good enough. Or if you just ask him into your heart this morning, then that's good enough. We're sad to know that reality, the reality that sin is no longer talked about. We're sad to know the reality that 
regeneration or this truth of having a transformed life is no longer talked about. We're sad to know that there are people who are believing that they have the truth because they're told, well, if you just be a good enough person today, then you're good to go. What more do you need? True conversion is not being preached in so many places this morning in our world today. Also, there's a reality that there's this preaching of the quote-unquote gospel, but what is the means to that? Or what's the end of that gospel? What's, what is this bringing you towards? And it's only bringing you towards wealth or health, some kind of prosperity or some kind of better life today. But that's not what this was about. That was not what the gospel was about. As we look at our passage today, we're going to see that very clearly. There's a a sense of what true conversion is, and that's what we're called to as Christians. That's what we're called to as believers in the one true God, is a true conversion, a new birth, a regeneration Not this pseudo-gospel, not this soft gospel that tells you, just believe whatever feels good today. Not like any other religion that says something like, well, if you work hard enough, you can make it. We see in the scriptures this true call, that conversion, that transformation of the very life of the person is what we should expect in the life of a true believer. It's not just a work. It's not just a word that you said one time. Not just coming up to the altar on an altar call. But rather, there's a true transformation. We see this happening throughout the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 19, we get the story of the rich young ruler, right? I'm going to turn back there for you. Matthew chapter 19. And he says, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? The the ultimate question, right? What must I do to be saved? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The reality is, is that Christ calls on the rich young ruler to have a change of heart, a conversion. This thought that he had saved himself by all of the works he had done, by all of the law keeping he thought he had had, was not enough. We know the reality, as I preached not too long ago from Matthew chapter 7. We have back-to-back stories about the reality of good fruit and bad fruit about the reality that there will be these people who say that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they'll stand before him on judgment day and they'll say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, you workers of iniquity. We come to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. There's this reality in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. In verse 5, that says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Friends, as we look at our text this morning, we're going to see this call upon the life of every person to be born again. To turn from their wicked ways and to turn to Christ. That there's a true conversion. It's not simply saying I believe. But that there's a true transformation that has to happen. 
I don't know how many of you realize, but the new birth was actually a staple part of the Puritan teaching. They called on people to be regenerated, to be called anew and afresh to the gospel, to have a true transformation. They had come out of this reality of Catholicism where it was all works-based. And that was the reformers and into the Puritans. They were saying, be born again. There has to be a transformation of heart for true salvation to come. One of the English Puritans, Stephen Charnock, said these words contain the foundation of all practical religion here and happiness hereafter. That without the truth of the new birth, you would never be able to experience true happiness after your death. Because without the new birth, you were condemned to hell, to utter destruction. And so as we come to our text this morning, I invite you to Remember the reality that the new birth is a necessity of the life of a Christian. We're going to look at three sections this morning. We're going to start with Nicodemus' question to Christ. Starting in verse 1 through verse 3 of chapter 3 in John. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we get right off from the bat. There was this man, Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were an elite group of people. They were known as rulers. They were experts. They were zealous for the Mosaic law. So zealous that they actually made up their own understanding of what that law meant and imparted rules on themselves and on others for how they ought to live to meet the Mosaic law, even past what the Mosaic law actually taught. They came up with traditions and and thoughts on what that would mean and how to best live that out. And so that came all the way to saying how many steps you could take on the Sabbath before it was considered work. It went so far as to say what you could or could not do in every instance of your life. And they had a great influence over the people. They came from these middle class families rather than the wealthy, like the Sadducees. The Sadducees were from the wealthy and elite families, but the Pharisees were more middle class men. And so you have these Pharisees, they're this group of experts religiously zealot, men that led a life that was supposed to be perfection in some capacity, true religion, true faith. However, they were caught in legalism, wherein they had never had a true transformation of heart. Many of them just worked their way. They didn't actually have any change or transformation of life, but rather they just said, if I do enough, then that'll be enough. They relied on their outward appearance. They relied on the behavior changes that they thought they were doing and the rituals that they had prescribed for others and that they were living by, hopefully, themselves in some capacity. And they said, that should be enough. We know that Jesus addresses the Pharisees throughout the Gospels and he battles against this hardness and this unbelief and this thought that they could save themselves. If you'll turn back with me to Matthew chapter 23, We see the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. And if you'll allow me, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 36 this morning, just to see how Christ responds to these Pharisees. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces and being called 
rabbi or teacher by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And here we come to these woes. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor allow those who would, go, who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and, let, and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. Notice. But inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people, dead people's bones, and are all uncleanness. So you will outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that you may come, so that on you may come all the righteousness, righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. The Pharisees were known as being religiously zealot. But it was all external. As it said, the cup and the plate looked great on the outside, but if you looked inside, it was greed and self-indulgence. It looked like a whitewashed tomb. It was beautiful to the sight, but what was inside the tomb was bones of dead bodies and decay and uncleanness. So even though they were zealous, they did not believe. There was no real transformation within their hearts. They were zealous about a law. They were zealous about making others follow the law. As he said, you'd take a proselyte and you would make him twice as much worthy of hell. They were hypocrites. And here you have a man of the Pharisees, a man named Nicodemus, a fellow one that would have been called a, a hypocrite, a one, one who would have trusted wholly in his ability and his works and his standing under the law. 
It says he was a ruler of the Jews, and so he was probably a part of the Sanhedrin, which was the high council that had rule over the Jews when it came to things like religious ceremony, civic and criminal jurisdiction. They, they took over all these areas and they said, we have authority over them. Well, this man, Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this one that Christ would have called a hypocrite, comes before Christ by night and says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It's almost shocking to think a, a man who would have thought of himself as having all the answers to come before Jesus himself. It's interesting because they make a note of saying by night. It's almost as if he knew the disdain and the disgust that would come if he had come during the day. One, Jesus probably would have been swamped by people flocking to him to hear him and to be healed by him. But it's also the sense of coming in a time when not others would see him just to be able to ask the question. Just to be able to stand before him to pose some issues or concerns. But notice what he calls him. Says rabbi, teacher. Nicodemus shows the sense of honor and respect for Jesus, for Christ. Even though Nicodemus was the one who others would call rabbi, he looks at Christ and he says, Rabbi. And he says, We know. We know. There must have been a group probably within the Sanhedrin that agreed that Christ, that Jesus was of God in some capacity. They didn't probably understand what that meant. They didn't want to acknowledge the reality of what that would mean for them. But they had to acknowledge the reality that he had to be from God. There was no way that he could be doing these things. You had all kinds of people with this dark magic in the time. We know that because Christ... And, and the followers of Jesus after talk about these demon-possessed people, right? We know, we see like Simon, the, the magician, we see these men who are doing these miracles in the name of Christ, but yet they weren't actually in the name of Christ. We know that as we saw in Matthew chapter 7, there will be those that stand before Christ at the end of time and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these mighty works in your name? But he says, I never knew you. So they had to have been doing them under some other power, some under authority, right? An authority of evil, under a power of evil. And so the Pharisee, Nicodemus, comes before Christ and he says, We know that you are not like those others. You are not like one of these ones who's out performing some kind of demonic or dark magic or evil thing. But you are from God. He acknowledged that it would be impossible, impossible for the things that they had been experiencing to happen by any other means than by God. He was amazed by his works and by his teaching. He acknowledged that it's literally the only possible way. But notice how Jesus answers him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I can only imagine Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this teacher, this one with all the knowledge, standing before Christ and he says, you are clearly from God. And how does Christ respond? He could have affirmed him right there and said, yes, I am. Amen. Done. End of story. Believe in me. But what does he say to him? He says, no. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How frustrating would you, would you feel when you think you know everything and you say something and you're like, hey, look at me. I can tell you're from God. But Christ responds back and says, you must be born again. It's confusing. It's, it's, it's almost like, wait, what? how are we here? What are we talking about? I was talking about how you're from God and now you're talking about being born again? It's such a contradictory. It's almost like on another side. And not only that, he, he says, 
truly, truly, or amen, amen. It's this emphasis, this something that says, this is vitally important. Pay attention what I'm telling you right now. And what was that vitally important thing that was more important than answering Nicodemus' comment or responding back to that? What was more important was that Christ, as we saw in verses 25, he knows the heart of man, right? In chapter 2, verse 25, he says, And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He knew what was in Nicodemus. He knew why Nicodemus had come, because he had seen the works, he had heard the teaching, he probably was aware of what has been going on with John the Baptist and all of these things. And he comes before him and Christ says, don't worry about any of that. What you need is you need to be born again. He says, no one, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again, the new birth, regeneration, gives eternal life to our dead souls. I'm just going to read a few verses as I flip through here, talking about the new birth, just to give us a, a deeper understanding of what we're looking at here. And bear with me as I turn. 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of, our, of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again to a living hope. With the new birth comes hope. What is that hope? An eternal life in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 23 of 1 Peter. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Been born again of imperishable seed. What is it? It's through the living and abiding word of God. It's this born again into the word of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. We read... If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Being born again leads to righteousness. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, but for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Being born again leads to this sense of, once again, righteousness and putting to death sin. So we see this transformation that's happening, right? There's this regeneration. There's this change from this life that's caught up in the flesh and caught up in sin and caught up in death to a life that's caught up in, well, life and hope and righteousness and the things of God. And you get caught up in this reality of the true transformation, this regeneration, this justification that comes through Christ and in him alone. And without that, without this new birth where there's a heart that is transformed from this heart of stone to the heart of flesh, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And what does the kingdom of God mean here? It means you can't experience salvation. This rulership of God through his son, which brings you true salvation. Without that, without the new birth, without being born again through repentance and faith, you will never experience it. What would this have meant for Nicodemus? Christ comes and says these words very clearly to him, and what would it have meant for him? It meant his whole life. Everything he had done was built on something that would fall, and it would fail, and it would not succeed in his salvation. His works would not save. His trust and observance in this law, and being a member of the elite group, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin would lead to nothing in the end. And so Jesus, in calling him to this new birth, to this true repentance and faith, is saying, give it up. Let go. The, the Pharisee, this Nicodemus, comes before Christ and he says, I see that you're of God. And Christ says, Give up everything. Start fresh. Abandon everything that you think you know and place your hope in me. 
Place your hope not in anything that you've done, not in the Sanhedrin, not in the Pharisees, not in the works of the law, not in all the rules and the traditions that you've put out there, but in me. Because the human works won't save you. So we come now to verses 4 through 8. We've seen Nicodemus's question to Christ, and now we see Nicodemus's confusion with Christ. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus responds to this statement of Christ. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. And if you're not, you will not see the kingdom of God. And it's almost fitting that he responds in this way that is very much based on the physical realm, right? Because he's been working so hard by his own might and his own will and his own power to try and save himself. And he responds to him and he says, How can a man be born again if he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's almost the perfect answer because it's so true of how he's viewed the world. He's viewed the world as being this realm in which he can just work his way to salvation. He can do all the physical things. He can sacrifice and he can give up and he can fast for days on end and he can pray enough and he can read enough and he can order people around enough. And he can make the necessary sacrifices and he can be in the temple enough and he can do all these things. And so he says, well, how can this happen? And we know he probably didn't mean that in the sense of really understanding it and as being born again by his mother. But still, it's almost the perfect answer. But still, it was the question, how can he be born again? Because it, he can't do that, right? He can't go back into his mother's womb and he can't be born again. He can't start fresh. Christ has this called him. He said, you must be born again. And to be born again means to let go of everything and start anew. To turn away from all that you've had and start fresh. You think of a newborn baby. No hopes, no dreams, no aspirations. There's no works involved. They're just there. All of that stuff is built over time. None of that was, he's saying, give up on all of that and start anew. And so he says, how? How would you do that? Paul gives us the, the perfect example of that. If you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He gives us the perfect example of what Christ was calling on Nicodemus here. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is what Christ was calling on Nicodemus for. He said, don't trust in this law. Give it up. Trust in me. Put your faith in me. Put your trust in me because that's where true salvation will come. And he elaborates then on his previous statement to hit it even harder at Nicodemus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and born of the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. He almost pits these two births. And there's a variety of ways that people have understood this through history. Some people say, well, there's actually two births, right? So you have this natural birth. And the being born of water means something like 
the amniotic fluid when you're born or being born in the sense of physical sense and then you have a spiritual birth. Some have said that even it meant being born of the water means being born through baptism, but we know that baptism doesn't save and so that couldn't be it. Some even have said it might have been talking about Jewish washings, but that's not it either. It almost seems like they're pitted against each other in some capacity where it's some will be born of the water and some will be born of the spirit, but actually they're probably one in the same. They're talking about something that Nicodemus would have been familiar with because remember, he's a Pharisee, right? So as a Pharisee, he understands the Old Testament. He's read the Old Testament. He should be most knowledgeable about the Old Testament. People would look to him and say, what does this mean? What does this Old Testament mean? And he would be able to tell them. And so we see the water and spirit as a symbolic thing in the Old Testament talking about renewal and cleansing. So if you'll turn with me to Numbers chapter 19, Numbers chapter 19, we see these laws of purification. The laws of purification. And we're going to see those words again, the water and spirit. Starting in verse 17 of Numbers chapter 19. For the unclean, they shall take some ashes of the burnt offer, sin offering, and fresh water shall be added in a vessel. Then a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it on the tent and on all the furnishings and on the persons who were there and on whoever touched the bone or the slain or the dead or the grave. And the clean person shall sprinkle it on the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. Thus on the seventh day he shall cleanse him and he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. And at the evening he shall be clean. And so there's a sense in which this water is cleansing. And it's only by this cleansing that they actually can be then transformed. There's a sense in which water cleansing is a sense of cleansing internally because there's no real external dirtiness, but it's a sense of internal dirtiness that's happened. Isaiah chapter 4. I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 4. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. So once again, we see the sense of the spirit being a sense of cleansing. So there's the sense of water cleansing and there's a sense of spirit cleansing and they're working together. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 5. Or sorry, verse 15. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 15. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. The Spirit is poured upon them and there's a sense in which there's new birth, there's new regeneration, there's a life giving from that. And finally, Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. And in Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 27, we see, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, right? So we have water and we have spirit. And I will put within and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So Christ is speaking to something that Nicodemus should have understood. The sense of water. And spirit being this cleansing work. There was a sense in which those two things were used as a means to say cleansing of the internal being. Cleansing from anything that is unclean within. It was a true spiritual transformation or washing. One that could be saving. 
when somebody was truly washed in repentance and faith. And he says, that is which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Frequently we hear, like in Romans chapter 8, flesh being something of sin, right? We, that's how our comparison goes, is to be flesh and to be spirit are two separate things. We kind of create this separation. But here, flesh simply means flesh. It's referring to this human nature. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so... When you're born, you're automatically be born of flesh. And so to Nicodemus' question, how can a man be born again? Can he enter back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Christ says, if you were to do that, you would be still born of flesh. What difference does that make? Even if you could do that, even if it was somehow hypothetically possible, it wouldn't matter. Because you would still be of the same flesh that you are right now. But rather what you need is something else. You need that cleansing of the water and the spirit. You need to be born of the spirit because being born of the spirit is spirit. Spiritual rebirth brings entrance into the kingdom of God. Entirely the work of God. Because right when we look at the, the flesh and we say being born of the flesh, we think there's, a, there's an activity. There's something that humans are doing in this process. Thankfully enough, my wife and I had our, our son a year ago, Right? And the reality is, is you watch as a woman gives birth and you see the very physical work that goes into this. It's not an easy thing. There's a, there's a labor that happens. And God says, but the spirit to be entering into that is not of the flesh because this is entirely his work. God alone is the one that saves. God is the alone, the one that pulls you out of your darkness. God alone is the one that brings you into salvation, not by any work, not by any labor, not by any effort that you can put in of yourselves. That's why it can't be of the flesh. It has to be of the spirit. Because if it was by the flesh, then you could just work your way into heaven. And he says, no, repent and believe. Trust in the spirit. The spirit will do it. Trust in the work of God because God will do it. I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 3. You don't have to join me there. I'm just going to read this for you real quick. Romans chapter 3 and verse 5. But if our unrighteousness, or sorry, verse 25, I said, or verse 5, verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So the reality is, is that the spirit, right, is this, this work that's happening by God is only because of him. It was his propitiation. It was his work. It was his blood that was shed. That was what we received by faith. And that's what allows us to receive this righteousness of God. It was his forbearance. It was his ability to save. It was him that overlooked our former sins. It was him that turned his eyes away from your sin and looked upon the righteousness of Christ. And Christ continues by saying, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus still must have been amazed. He must have been looking at him utterly confused at this very moment because he said, These are all probably clicking in some capacity because he hears water and spirit and he thinks to himself of these passages and he says, This makes sense in some capacity, but it's not making sense at all in another and so he's amazed at what is being said as it broke every understanding of what he thought he knew. Every understanding of what he had believed to be the work. Notice the word work there. The work of following God. It was contradictory to everything. But Christ says, do not marvel at this. He says, you must. You must. This is the strong emphasis. It had to occur we see John use the same word in the Greek in other places. In John chapter 3, verse 14, just below that, he says, So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may, be, may have eternal life. He must die on a cross, or it would not happen. Salvation would not occur. John chapter 12, and verse 34, 
We see a similar thing in reference to the crucifixion. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you... Sorry. 12. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong verse. My apologies. Uh, John chapter 12 and verse 34. So the crowd answered to him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Must be lifted up. And then at the resurrection, in chapter 20 and verse 9, he says, For as they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. For if he had not risen from the dead, his death was all for naught. It is because of his resurrection that we can have the hope of the coming resurrection. It's because he was not held down by death. Because if he had been held down by death, then that would have meant sin had prevailed. It is because he was sinless and perfect in all of his ways that he could be raised. And so all of these things were musts. They had to occur. There was no option. There was no way around it. He must die. He must rise. And here, you must, must be born again. There is literally no other way to enter but to be born again of the Spirit. And Christ gives this beautiful response to kind of close out that little section. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He gives the illustration of the wind. And he says, it's free. It goes where it, where it pleases. Under the direction of the Lord, the wind is where it is. And you don't know where it comes from. You don't see it. And it can't determine where it goes. We see that all too often in weathermen and watching. If you ever look at the weather, and they'll tell you something, but then you're experiencing something completely different. And it's because we can only do so much to understand. And he says, you don't understand where this wind comes from or where it goes, but you feel it and you know it's true and you see it. You see the effects of it. You see the reality that it's there because you see the leaves blowing. You see the trees rustle. You see all of these changes that are happening around you as the weather changes based on the wind bringing it in and blowing it away. He says, the same is true of the Spirit. His work of regeneration is not controlled by humans, but by his sovereign will. How do we know if you're born again? How do we know if there's a change? Because you'll see the transformed life. You'll see the change that happens. Similarly, as you watch a leaf blow from here to over here, and you see that the wind moved it, you'll see the transformation of the believer from here to here, from sin to life, from from unrighteousness to righteousness to works of the law to grace you see the transformation that happens and now we come to our our final section of text jesus responds to nicodemus and nicodemus says to him how can these things be jesus answered him are you a teacher of israel and yet you do not understand these things Nicodemus responds in utter confusion. He says, how can these things be? Even with everything that Christ had just said, he called on the Old Testament. He pointed him to something that could illustrate it. It was like the perfect sermon right there. He called on the the text. He gave a great illustration and he says, now go be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can these things be? He couldn't let go of that reality that the works wouldn't save him. Because if he let go of that reality, that meant it was all for naught. That meant all those years, because he says he was an old man, right? He says, can an old man enter back into his mother's womb, right? So we can assume he was at least somewhat elderly. And he says, but all of my, all the stuff I've done, years, years given up to this. So how can these things be? It is clear at this point that Jesus states, how can you not see it? You're a renowned teacher of the Jews, but yet these simple points seem to surpass your knowledge, seem to surpass your understanding, or it seem to surpass your heart. Your heart is not willing to change. Your heart's not willing to let go. 
Your knowledge of the Old Testament should alone have brought you this ability to understand what was happening here because you would have been looking for this new covenant. You would have been looking for the Messiah. You would have been looking for the Christ, the one who was going to redeem his people. All of the Old Testament, all the promises, all the covenants, every symbol and sign was pointing to Jesus. And he says, I'm here. I'm here. Be born again. Be transformed. The covenant is at hand. Trust in it. And yet, he couldn't. He couldn't let go. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, we see this reality that all of these scriptures should have been the point. He says, And how from childhood you, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, talking about the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Nicodemus had no excuse. He had no reason not to believe. He saw the works. He heard the teaching. Christ called him, and yet he didn't. The sad reality is that comparable to our other texts about those that would put their faith and their trust in their own works, those that would say that they were believers but were not truly saved, Nicodemus gives, gives us the perfect example here. He, he believes that the legalism and the work that he's put in was going to be the saving point. He shows by his response that as many of us probably have had over time in response to Christ, I'll do it on my own. I'll work hard enough. I know I've been there. I battle against it daily. There's a sense in which we all want to grab hold, right? Want to just be able to say, I'm going to take control right now because if I have control, then I can do it. Because if anybody can do it, I can do it, right? If anybody can do it, I can do it. If I want it done right, well, that's the saying, right? If you want it done right, do it yourself. But Christ says, no. You must be born again by the Spirit. I'm sure I've shared with many of you over time, I thankfully came out of Catholicism. And I, as I was reading this text and praying about it and considering it, I couldn't help but think back. And I said, man, I was just like him, though. I was just like Nicodemus. Didn't matter what anybody said. I was said, I go to Mass every day. They said, Christian, you need to be saved. And I'd say, well, I went to confession. But Christian, if you would repent and believe, you could enter into the kingdom of God. And I would have been just like Nicodemus and said, but how can these things be? Because I've done enough. Sure, I've done a lot of bad, don't get me wrong, but I've worked pretty hard and that's good enough. Every religion today follows that same thing except for true biblical Christianity, which calls you and myself today and always be born again. Repent and believe on Christ again. Do that now. Do that always. All these other religions out there are going to put their hope in actions and works and their belief that if they are deep down good enough, then they'll make it. Or if they give up enough, then they'll make it. Or if they strive hard enough, then they'll make it. That's why you have these beliefs and things like reincarnation, right? Is because they're like, well, if I don't try hard enough this time, then I'll have another time. If I don't give enough this time, or if I go far enough, then maybe I can try again next time. Maybe I'll make it to another level, and then at the next level, I can eventually make it. But that's not truth. Because the reality is, is no matter how hard you try, without Christ, you will die, and you will spend eternity in hell. Friends, Friends, I invite you again to hear the reality of the gospel and this call to be born again. How, does, how is one born again? It's by regeneration. It's by transformation through the water and spirit. It's by God calling upon you to repent of your sin and believe on Christ, the one who died on the cross. 
you and I are all sinners. We are all sinners in line with our father Adam. None of us is free from sin. Nicodemus wasn't free from sin. But God, in his infinite mercy, made a way that we might be saved. What is that? The person and work of Christ. It's what we read this morning as we affirmed the gospel truth on the back of this handout. I invite you to read this again. Repeat it to yourself over and over again and see the reality that Christ lived the perfect, sinless life. The one that none of you nor I can ever live. The one that none of us could even imagine having. He lived that on our behalf and he died in the place where we should die. All of us should be nailed upon a tree to die, to suffer, to experience the wrath of God being poured out upon us. But Christ did that in our place. That we, that we, even though we'll experience death, could stand before him one day with our mediator, with our advocate, Christ, our Savior, who will stand next to us and he will put his righteous robe upon us and God will look upon us, us unworthy, unregenerate, sinful looking people because we look sick, we look disgusting, but the righteous robe gets placed upon us and we become the righteousness of Christ. We become regenerate. We become the ones that then God looks and says, my son, my daughter, welcome, welcome. Friends, friends, Repent and believe today. Repent and believe in the work of Christ. The one that we read. Cried out to his father in Gethsemane. The one who was nailed upon the tree. The one who was buried. The one who rose again. And now sits at the right hand of the father. To be able to intercede on our behalf. Pray, if you have not today, that you might be given this new heart, that you might be born again, that you might turn from your sin, that you might see your sin, that you might acknowledge your sin and turn from it and put your faith and your trust in Christ alone. And friends, if you are a believer here today, continue, continue on. Continue repenting. Continue turning from sin. Continue letting go of your desire to take control And look on Christ, because he alone is the one who saves. He alone is the one who brings eternal life. I'm so thankful that as we read further in John, we find the story of Nicodemus doesn't end. Nicodemus chapter 7 and verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and was one of them said to them does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does Nicodemus defends Christ in front of the Sanhedrin in front of the Pharisees and then we see in John chapter 19 Christ has been crucified and in verse 38 after these things Joseph Joseph of Arimathea who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So we see at some point between that night, when he seemed to be so amazed and confused and lost and saying, I don't know that this is possible. He becomes the one who then defends Christ. He becomes the one who then comes to the burial site and says, I bring these gifts for the Almighty, for the Son of God. It shows a sign that there was some form of salvation that had occurred, that there had been a transformation, that this born again had finally happened. And so, friends, as we close this morning, I invite you, To not give up. Not give up in seeking the Lord. But also not give up in sharing the truth of the gospel. For it seemed like an ending story right there. Jesus says, how are you a teacher but you don't understand me? 
How are you one that should know all, but you don't? And then we see that there was a conversion that happened, that those words had penetrated his heart. That night when he had spent with Jesus talking and engaging did eventually transform him. And so trust that the Lord in his spirit can work in the hearts of the unregenerate soul and bring true regeneration, repentance, and faith. I'd like to close with just a couple of quick quotes from some Puritans that I just found to be a beautiful way to end today. Thomas Watson said, It is not baptism which makes a Christian. Many are no better than baptized heathens. The essential part of religion, or faith, lies in the new creature, being a new creation, being born again. Thomas Adams said, Repentance is the change of mind, and regeneration is the change of a man. Till the first Adam be changed into the second, there is no hope of entering into heaven. Friends, let us be changed. Let us be transformed. Let us be born again by spirit in the water that we might come to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer.